Welcome to The Church We Fight For, Universal, Inclusive, and Just, where we examine not what the Catholic Church is against, but what the Catholic Church stands for. Hey friends, welcome to our podcast, The Church We Fight For, Universal, Inclusive, and Just. You know, the goal of this podcast is really to showcase and shine a spotlight on what the Catholic Church ought to be. The Catholic Church is a beautiful thing, although maybe you wouldn't know that um, based on some of the things that you hear or you read about the Catholic Church. But our goal is to really show, no, the Catholic Church is quite beautiful. And if the Catholic Church is true to the Church, we could make a huge difference in the world. This is also take two of this podcast. The reason being is I think we were both, or at least I'll speak for myself, I was a little disappointed in the first one in that we sounded pretty darn negative. And while there are times, and this could be one of them, where being negative about the church is reasonable, we still want to make sure that we see the church as all of the people of God, and there's a ton of positive that goes on. And even though you might not see that in the media or even coming necessarily out of the bishops' conference sometimes— the church is still positive. And remember also that the church has always believed in subsidiarity. And at the heart of that is where the church really is, is in the local community, Mm -hmm. in your parish, in your small faith group. And that's where you see the good coming out. Sometimes the larger church in general can seem cold and simply as if it is against things rather than being for. And we're going to try to try to change that a little bit. And I think, too, to define the church, when we talk about the church, we truly do mean the body of Christ. Those of us who go to church, go to Mass, participate, maybe that's all you do, that's fine. But even those who participate in Bible studies, who are volunteering in the soup kitchens, who are making a difference in the community, who are going out and being the hands and feet of Christ. That is the church. And if we do get a little critical, we're most likely getting a little critical of, let's call it the hierarchy. And we're going to do our best to differentiate because the church is a beautiful thing. And sometimes it's it's okay to disagree with the hierarchy. Um, but the important thing is, is that we focus on the good things that the church stands for, the good things that the church does, and the beautiful people who make up that church. And as we talk about the hierarchy and occasion, we want to clarify also that we are strong believers and trusters in the pontificate of Pope Francis. He is bringing true light into a church that can times seem very harsh. And we support him where he does that, and we support him in general. So don't think we are simply criticizing the Vatican or the Pope. We're not doing that. But on occasion, there have been some particular bishops who, frankly, we're just going to say we are appalled by their behavior. Mm -hmm. And it won't take much to figure out who we're talking about. And we're not even talking about our our particular ordinary, whom we don't necessarily feel bad about. But some of the United States have been so critical, so harsh, and frankly, so right-wing political that they are, in contrast to the rich 
teaching authority of the church and the documents and traditions that have flowed from the church. And I think we've seen both the best of the church during the time of pandemic that we're currently finally coming out of, and we've also seen um, some pretty awful things come out. In terms of what we want to showcase and who we are as the church, the three qualifiers that we put in the title of the podcast, universal, the Catholic church, Catholic means universal. It is for everyone. It is for the whole world. Inclusive. No one's meant to be excluded from the Catholic church. I would even go so far as to say no one should be excluded from the table of the Eucharist. And I know that is not, that's, that's not really a, that's an opinion. And I will say, well, no, it's a pretty, it's not really an opinion. (laughs) I would disagree with that. Eucharist was never meant to be a weapon. Hmm. Even at the last supper, Judas participated. That's true. It's not a weapon. And, I think we all would do ourselves a great deal of good if on occasion we would listen to some of the things Jesus said and some of the principles he laid out. And one of them that we don't always listen to is stop judging and you will not be judged. Stop condemning and you will not be condemned. Give and gifts will be given. Hmm. We don't listen to that very well. And I think we've got a few bishops that don't listen to that very well. And if we embrace people for who they are, if we meet them where they're at on the journey, more people, I think, would be apt to look into the Catholic Church. But if, but it always seems like we, we set this benchmark, like you can't even step foot in the door until you reach this level, until you reach this benchmark. And sometimes, you know, we bring our brokenness to church, where else can you bring your brokenness if you can't bring it to church and say, this is who I am. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be a disciple, but I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm down at the, the bottom level here and I, I need help. And if the church is not here to help and walk with, then we're doing a disservice because I, I think sometimes, and I worked in I worked in faith formation, and that was always one of the things that I tried very hard not to do. It's not just give rubrics and say, this is what you need to do, but it's let me journey with you as we both work our way towards this goal. And I think that's what it means to be inclusive. It's not keeping people at an arm's length saying, follow these rules and you know, you're, you'll be in good standing, but instead it's come, let's walk together as we journey towards heaven. One of the things that I think we would both agree has been one of the most difficult things for the church in the United States in the 21st century is that we have so aligned ourselves with one issue that is opposition to abortion, which we are both pro-life, so let's get that out on the table right now. But we have so aligned ourselves with opposition to legalized abortion that that seems to be the only thing the church cares about. And even though in most official writings you will see we were we 
emphasize we are not a one-issue church. In practice, we We look like a one-issue church. So much so that we have aligned ourselves, we as in the Conference of Bishops, with some politicians that do some pretty scary, awful, and frankly, unchristian things simply because they voice an opposition to abortion. And we would say the church would be better off and we will continue to work for a church that is truly pro-life. And being pro-life means, and it should mean to everyone, that we want to have the fewest abortions possible. But if you look at our American politics, it's no one wants to fix the problem. They want to keep the problem. Because the desire is for both political parties in our country, it's a fundraising tool. For the far right, opposition to abortion raises money. For the far left, being supportive of abortion rights raises money. Well, maybe we need to, instead of worrying about laws, we ought to worry about bringing abortions to an end as much as we can. Mm -hmm. And that means looking at a much broader picture. Instead of worrying about laws, we worry about what are the root causes of abortion. And one of the biggest ones consistently in any study you read is poverty and lack of education. So maybe both sides of the equation could get together and work toward that and make many fewer abortions happen rather than just fighting for a law. Because if both sides dig their heels in, nothing ever changes. I'm in my mid-50s right now, and this has been thrown around as long as I've been alive. And we are no closer to fixing the problem. And maybe if, as a church, we look back at our deeper understandings of the dignity of the human person and the sanctity of all life, we could start working to be pro-life instead of just being in opposition to abortion. And I think that's the church that we want to see. The church that we fight for is people first. And if we can look at the inmate on death row who has repented for his or her crimes, if we look at them for who they are as a child of God who's made in the image and likeness of God, then it doesn't become a one... Pro-life does not become a one-issue... Gun violence is a pro-life issue. Yeah, any of these things. Things that take lives before an individual is called home or whatever you want to call it, that's a pro-life issue. It's not just about abortion. It's not just about those babies. Because guess what? Once those babies are born, what kind of quality of life are they going to have? And I think if we don't look at the whole person, the whole life, then we aren't looking at these people with love. We're just looking at them as a political chess piece. And I think St. Paul had something to say about that. If I, you know, speak beautiful words, but I don't have love, then I'm just a resounding gong. And I think that is what pro-life, not just to, you know, people who maybe are, you know, pro-abortion, you know, they hear pro-life and they automatically have these ideas in their head. But even to the pro-life people, we use that term so much that it's almost lost its meaning. Like, what does that even mean? It, again, is a political chess piece. And what happens is you lose sight of who are you trying to help? Well, a friend of mine put it this way, and I hadn't observed it closely enough until he said this. For 
for many in the church, being pro-life means being pro-pre-birth. And that's just the start, folks. If we're truly pro-life, then we care about health care of the mother and child. We care about their nutrition. We care about their education. We care that they're living in a safe environment. But if all we do is oppose the act of abortion, and then once the child is born, we don't reach out to them and care for them, we're not pro-life. We are pro-pre-birth. Mm-hmm. Most people probably don't realize this that are part of the Catholic Church, but in the previous presidential administration, the re- separation of children from their parents at the border was very much against Catholic teaching and belief. And there were bishops that were very vocal and, frankly, were there in protest of those actions. But we didn't really rattle the cage too much with that issue. It was happening, but not to the extent of any kind of issue that ever comes up about abortion. That's the bishops come out quickly, sign this document, do this, and that one they stayed kind of quiet. And that's what I mean by I think we've aligned ourselves with a political structure for just one issue. And we're, we're slow to criticize people that say they are pro-life in politics because we don't want to upset them a little bit. We need to stand for justice no matter who it affects, no matter where it stands, no matter how much it might go against our political ideology. And that's the church we fight for. Now, having said that, The positive side is we did have bishops that were down there Mm -hmm. that were praying before these internment camps, for lack of a better way of saying it, where these children were held, and were fighting to get them reunited with their parents. So good things do happen. We've seen people in our parishes, in our community, that have dedicated their lives to caring for the poor, to providing nutrition and clothing and shelter for those who cannot seem to get those things in their current life situation. Good things do happen, but we're a lot more behind the scenes when it comes to that. And I think that kind of encapsulates, you know, the last qualifier we have in the title, and that is just. The church fights for justice. And I have to say, last summer um, in our little town, we had... We had a, a, a march, a protest, you know, and against racial inequality and racial injustice. And I was so proud to see so many of our parishioners there taking part because they saw that this is not this is not what the church stands for. The church stands for equity, equality, justice. All of these things, if you read the Gospels, if you read the Old Testament especially, it's all about the underdogs. You know, it's all about those who are oppressed. And I think that we've lost sight of that. Where has the church flourished and where has the church kind of not flourished? It's in the, it's in Latin America, South America, those areas where the church has actually felt oppression. Sorry, U.S. Catholics, we do not know persecution or oppression, Um that we might think we do, but we don't. If you read anything about liberation theology, if you read about, you know, El Salvador and St. Oscar Romero and the things that they 
It was a life or death situation for them. They were fighting for justice. And that is the church that we want to see. We want to see the church that will go to the front lines and say, this is wrong. We stand with you. And that is, if the church were to do that, this world would be so much better because if you, everyone wants to say the Catholic church has a lot of power. If you throw the power of the Catholic church behind anything to stop oppression and raise up the voices that have been kept down for so long, the church can help, can help in that situation, but the church has to want to. And when I say the church, I should say the hierarchy has to want to, but also the people in the pews. It's not enough just for a few people to go to a protest once and say, I've done my part. I've done my part to stop, you know, racial inequality. That's not enough. It has to be part of who we are. Here's a a straw man argument that's been out there in our country over the last year. And it is so against Catholic understanding of morality that I want to share this with you. When the Black Lives Matter movement really started to get publicized. You started to hear people say, well, all lives matter. That's a straw man. That's a ridiculous point. We know all lives matter, but all lives aren't facing the same threat. Mm -hmm. And that's why black lives matter matters. I'm a white male. I have great relationships with law enforcement. I have never felt threatened, even though I've been pulled over for speeding. I've always been treated with respect. And I offer the officers back the same respect. I have officers in the parish where I worship. We get along just fine. And they are good, honest, caring community servants. It's not what I'm saying. But the church has taught something known as the preferential option. It's usually used in regard to the poor. But remember, poverty is sometimes more than simply material goods. And what the preferential option states is that those who are facing more suffering than others, we need to give them more to simply raise them up to the same level. The classic example that's used is a parent has two children. One of them is diabetic. One of them isn't. You don't treat them equally. You give one insulin. Why? To simply raise them up to a level of equal treatment. That's what Black Lives Matter means. The reason why that phrase is thrown around is because still in our country, 170 almost years out of the Civil War, for many black lives do not matter. Mm -hmm. And it's clearly evident in the actions of some politicians, in the actions of some areas of our country. And as a church, we need to speak out, yes, not only do black lives matter, but we are going to stand in solidarity with you. Some of the greatest leaders who marched with Martin Luther King in Selma, Alabama, were Catholic clergy and religious sisters. One of my cousins, actually, was a part of that. They risked their lives to stand with our black brothers and sisters in solidarity, not because they were some flaming liberal who felt good about it, but because it was just. And that's the church we're fighting for. And we could talk for hours on racial inequality and systemic racism and a consistent life ethic. And those are both topics that we will cover, you know, in upcoming podcasts because we want to make sure that we give due time 
and really have a good conversation about these topics. Um, and in terms of this introductory, introductory episode, you know, I think what you probably want to know about us is, do we have a leg to stand on? Do we even know what we're talking about? Um, most days I think, yes, we do. Both of us are, have backgrounds in theology. Both of us have worked in the parish, um, at the parish level. Both of us have, are affiliated and have worked at diocesan levels as well. And we just have a pulse, I would say, on what's happening in the Catholic church, particularly in the United States, but also around the world. And so we want, we hope that you guys will, you know, follow along with us and, Bring your questions. If you have questions, you know, there's an email in the description of the podcast. Send us an email and we'll do our best to cover those topics. We don't want to argue with people. We'll probably say some things where you're like, wow, I wholly, wholeheartedly disagree with you. And that's fine. Um, we know we're all entitled to our own opinions. But, you know, we're going to go back to that old saying, is it kind is it true? Is it necessary? We do a lot of discernment with this, you know, what do we actually want to talk about? Is it relevant? Should we talk about these things on the podcast? So we're doing that. We're doing our due diligence to do our part. We ask if you disagree or, you know, have comments about the podcast that you do the same thing that you discern and ask yourself, is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? And your responses to us, because we know that we're going to disagree we might even disagree on the on on the podcast. So we just never know. But we want to put that out there right away to say we're not here to argue. We're not here to fight within the church, but we are here to fight for the church. And lastly, this is a phrase that I think we've all heard at one time or another, and we want to make sure that it leaves the lexicon. Pray, pay, and obey. That's not the church we belong to. No nor should it be. And from our standpoint, we think the identity of parishes is pretty darn important. And we recognize that a parish in Louisiana and a parish in Chicago may have some different styles and ways of praying. And guess what, folks? They can both be authentic and truly Catholic. Mm -hmm. And... We want to make sure that for those who have truly rooted themselves in the traditions of the Second Vatican Council and in the fresh air thrown into our liturgical celebrations, that we are valid and we are true and we are Catholic. And you'll hear us talking from time to time. In fact, we may even devote a separate podcast simply to liturgical tradition and authenticity. But we firmly believe that a retrenchment to a rigidity and a pre-Vatican II understanding of liturgy isn't helpful. In fact, we would argue it's harmful. And we'll say more in the weeks to come. Yeah. I think, you know, to wrap up this this first episode, the church we fight for, universal, inclusive, and just, we believe and fight for a church that is led by the fresh air and breath of the Holy Spirit. We believe in a church that walks as a disciple with Jesus Christ and that uses God as 
the beacon, the lighthouse. This is what this is the church that we fight for. It's not about who has, you know, the most devout prayer life. It's not about who's served the most in soup kitchens. Those are all parts. Maybe those are all parts of your faith journey, but ultimately we are walking together and we can't forget that. The church we fight for is unified. That when we get to that unified church, when we can walk together and we see, when we look at everyone who's a part of this church and see them as brothers and sisters and as equals, then we are truly doing the work of the kingdom of God and we are tending our vineyard. And that is the church that we want to see. Doesn't that go back to what I said earlier? Stop judging and you won't be judged. Stop condemning and you won't be condemned. If our church would learn to live that rule in our own community, we'd be a pretty evangelizing example for the rest of the world. Yes. So as we wrap up this first podcast, um, our next podcast is... I going to be on rediscovering the mass. So we will have that conversation on, you know, liturgy and mass and what it means and why it's important. Um, But as we close out uh, this podcast, let us just end in prayer. So we'll take a minute and just invite the Holy Spirit into this space and your space as we pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to share our voice, to share our heart, to share about the church that we love so much, but sometimes also are so frustrated with. God, we trust that you will guide us through the Holy Spirit, that you will walk with us through your son, Jesus, as we fight for the church that you want on this earth. God, we ask that you give us strength for the journey and eyes to see ways to serve ways to include, and ways to fight for justice. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on The Church We Fight For, universal, inclusive, and just.